Good morning. How's everybody doing? Glad to have an opportunity to uh, share what God's been teaching me this morning. And as BJ mentioned, we want to continue in looking at how we function as a body of believers. And this morning, we want to focus on forgiveness. And uh, just a couple thoughts, some things that that God's been teaching me. Um, And uh, I know there's three of us this morning. I know as a teenager, I would look at a bulletin and see three speakers and think, "Uh uh-oh. So hopefully you're not thinking that this morning, but we're going to uh, we're, we're going to move through this. But forgiveness this morning, we want to focus on not necessarily God's forgiveness for us. While that pl- definitely plays a part in this, we want to focus on our forgiveness for one another and how we, as a body of believers, can be known as forgiving people. Um, are you a forgiving person? It's a difficult question. Some days, some days not so much. Some years, not so much. Some moments, not so much, right? If you turn with me to Galatians chapter 6, that's where I just want to spend a couple minutes, and we want to run forgiveness through the filter of these verses. Am I a forgiving person? Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, and we're going to be in just the first two verses here. The first thing that it says here is, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. If anyone is caught in transgression, okay, what's, what's transgression? It's a sin. It's a wrong done. It's a problem, right? If anybody is caught in transgressions. And then here's how we're supposed to react as a body of believers. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, right? Okay, so we've got a transgression. We have a wrong done. Our response then is a spirit of gentleness to restore, right? Okay, that's our, that's our first part here. And then we move to the next part of that verse. It says, but keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So there's a danger in this. There's a danger in restoring somebody. There's a danger in dealing with somebody's wrong done, and that's we too can be tempted, right? Okay, so we've got the wrong done, we've got the restoration, and we've got a warning, careful not to be tempted. And then verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. What are our burdens? As humanity, our burdens are our sin, the sin that we bear, the sin that without Christ's work on the cross is the burden that ultimately leads to death. So that's our burden. So let's, let's look at forgiveness through the eyes of these verses and what we've, what we've learned. Am I a forgiving person? I think in looking at this this week, I, I, I think we forgive so much more often than we even realize. Anybody cut off by another car this week. There's terrible drivers everywhere this week, right? Except for you. (laughs) Did we take their license plate? Did we find out where they live? Did we knock on their door and demand an apology? No. We forgave, right? Might have taken a minute or two. Got your blood pressure up a little bit. But we forgave. I think as families, we forgive a lot of things. 
We learn to know where each other's faults are. And hopefully we forgive and we don't let those things build. I think we forgive a lot more than we even think about. And hopefully we are people that forgive because of what God has done in our lives. But I think we do, we, we, we don't hold on to things because sometimes it's just not worth it, right? It's not worth it to, to deal with every little wrong that's been done to us. It's not worth dealing with those things. Sometimes we just have to let it go. But I think there's another reason that we forgive as well, other than just to let it go. I think, and, and, and let me illustrate this way. My 15-year-old daughter, when she was three, she was a, a wonderful kid. She was quite obedient. It was a first child, and I don't know what we did right, because we didn't have it figured out, but she, she was generally a pretty good kid. But every once in a while, she would have that meltdown. And I know, you know, if, if you've been a parent, you understand what a meltdown is, but these were, these were far and above that. I've never experienced it with my other kids, and it just was, it, it maybe happened three or four times, and it was just uncontrollable, just outburst of screaming, just there was nothing you could do. And of course, we were at my sister's house in Georgia, and, and one of these outbursts took place. And I was down in the basement, and we were, I was trying to get her ready for bed, put her pajamas on. And my sister still, still brings this story up. And uh, they could hear what was going on because she was that loud upstairs. So my whole, my whole family was experiencing this. And I had Ella on my lap, and I said, you know what, she's just, just uncontrollable, and I said, it's, it's time to put your pajamas on. And I, I grabbed at her shirt, and you know what she did? She bit me right in the hand. And she clamped on. She didn't just bite, she clamped on, that I physically had to pull her off. And you know what my immediate reaction was? Not forgiveness, right? It was anger. It was, it was, you know, what have I done wrong? Why is my child like this? And I peeled her off. I threw her on the couch. I yelled for Selena. I said, you take over. Because I couldn't, I couldn't handle it anymore. My hand was bleeding. It was that bad. And I actually, I talked to Ella this week. And one, I asked her if I could share the story. But two, I, I said, have you ever apologized for this? <laughs> no. 13 years, four, or 12 years later, she still has not apologized to me for the wrong done in my life, the hurt that she caused. But I think it's a picture of the reason that we forgive. You know what? Within a few minutes, I forgave Ella. Why? Because I wanted our relationship restored, because I love her, because I knew she was a three-year-old, and, you know, it's just how it is. But we forgive because we love. Is that right? I think we do. When we, when we care about someone, we forgive them because we love them. And so I think we, we forgive sometimes just because we got to let it go. Sometimes we forgive because we love them. But you know what? Here, here comes the problem. And I think that's what these verses in Galatians are talking about. It says, anyone, brother, if anyone's caught in transgressions, we're supposed to restore them. So somebody's wronged us. Somebody's done that wrong that we need to forgive. But here's the key in that verse. It says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And I think here's where the problem comes. What about when that hurt, when that wrong done to us is repeated? 
What about when it's, it's so big that it seems that it's unforgivable? When it hasn't been made right? When it just seems like it just can't be made right? And there's the temptation. The wrong's been done, and now there's that temptation to wrong again, to wrong back, to not forgive, right? And I think that's what these verses are talking about, that we have to be careful that we're not tempted. And Satan takes every opportunity to, to get in there and, and, and make us not want to forgive because he knows that it, within a body, within a family, within relationships, that it can break it apart. But then when we look at verse 2 there, it says, here is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens. And what did we say those burdens were? The sin that we carry, the wrong that we do, the things that we hurt other people with. And it says, as a body, here we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. And when Christ took our burden on himself, right, he took it on himself. He took it, the, the sin on himself. So we're to, supposed to take each other's burdens and we're supposed to bear them. And that's what forgiveness is. We're supposed to take somebody's sin that they've wronged us and we're supposed to put it onto ourselves. Even though it's not my burden to bear, it's not my wrong, it's not my sin, we've got to take that burden and we've got to put it on ourselves because that's what we're called to as a body of believers. So Denny's going to tell us exactly how we do that, right? I'm going to ask a question. Which is easier for you? Say, I forgive you, or to say, I have wronged you, I have offended you, please forgive me. Now, first is easier. For the second, what's your response? First, it's easier to say, I forgive you. Is it? Is it really? I think they're both difficult. They shouldn't be. You know, it should not be. I find it, I will agree that it's harder for me to go to somebody and say, hey, I've offended you. Why is it harder? I, I have pride. It's standing in the way of everything. You know, I, I feel like, hey, wait a minute. I can't be angry at that person if I forgive them. I can't, you know, I can't get my justice. So there's several things we're going to look at. Would you turn to me uh, with Colossians chapter 3, please? In Colossians chapter 3, we're going to look at some things. And uh, we're going to start down in the middle of the chapter, but we're going to jump back right up to the first verse again. But in verse number 12 of chapter 3 of Colossians, it says, therefore, and we're going to stop there and go back up top. You know, sometimes it goes a whole lot further back, but here, if we look at verse 1, it says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. So it starts out with what we call the if-then theory, okay? You know, if this is true, then this is true. And that's really cool when you're, you know, playing around with computers and writing different things. You know, if A is true, then B is true. Then there's sometimes they throw in else into it. But here we have an if then. If you were raised with Christ, 
So this is what we have to think about right now here in this room. Were you raised with Christ? Now, that doesn't mean as a child that you were brought up. It means, have you been resurrected because of Christ's resurrection? And we all know that the only way that can happen is if we accept Christ as our Savior. So we want to look at this passage today very closely. If you look down at verse 12 with me again, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved... So that's saying something else, as the elect of God. So it's telling us if we are raised with Christ, and then down here in verse 12, it tells us as the elect of God. This chapter is very specific in who it's speaking to. It's speaking to you and me that know Jesus Christ is our Savior. I'm sorry if you're here today and you're not, you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. We want you to. We want you to know that he loves you. He died for you. He rose again, and there is a way that you can get into heaven by believing and trusting in him and giving yourself to him, being raised with him, as it says here. But right now, he's dealing with us that already know Christ as our Savior. And he's giving us some instructions here. So if we are raised with him, it says, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Then it goes on and gives us some other, other things that happen here. It tells us that we are to um, set our minds on things above in verse 2. And down there a little further, look at, look at verse 5. It says, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. These are some of the things that we're supposed to put to death. As a Christian, this is what's supposed to happen in our lives. And it goes on a little bit further. Look in verse 8 with me. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these. And these are things as a Christian we're supposed to get rid of. We're supposed to get rid of our anger, our wrath, our malice, our blasphemy, filthy language out of our mouths. And it says next verse, do not lie and put off the old man. Um, put off the old man. Uh, of the elders, I'm the eldest. But we're not talking about that kind of old here. We're talking about that person who existed prior to our salvation. That's a different person. That's the old person that we were. We're supposed to get rid of the old person but then it goes on to tell us to put on the new man. We have something new. Now we have Jesus Christ living within us. Before that, we did not have him as our guide. And we did not have conviction about what we were doing. But here we're supposed to put on the new man. And then if we go down to verse 11, just the last very phrase of that it says Christ is all in all so that therefore is referring to all of that stuff that was up above and it says if all of this stuff is true and then you you are going through this this belongs to you then it says the as elect of God it tells us to do something else here we go in verse 12 put on tender mercies kindness humility meekness long-suffering bearing with one another and forgiving one another I'm going to stop there I'm, I'm, it says, bearing with one another and, let's say this together, 
forgiving one another. That's pretty weak. Bearing one another and forgiving one another. A little bit better. Come on. Let's go. I want to hear it. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. There we go. That's a little better. It's something that is instructed to us as, as believers in Christ. We're supposed to forgive one another. And much as John was talking about, this next portion says, If any has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. As Christ forgave me, I am supposed to forgive others. What does it mean to forgive? The dictionary version of it says forgive means to stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense, flaw, or mistake. Let go. Oh, my. Let go. I've been offended. How do I let go? This is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to let it go. Um, and by forgiving, we're not saying that we condone what was done. That's not what we're saying at all. We're not saying there's not, there are consequences for what the sin that has been done against you. You know, example is when somebody goes out and murders somebody, the victim's family can forgive them, but the person still has to do the time. But they can be forgiven. We can forgive. Now, that takes a special type of person to be able to do stuff like that and that's the kind of people we are supposed to be forgiving people uh, look back with me quickly to mark chapter 11 keep your hand there and we're going to come back but in mark chapter 11 verse 25 it says this and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. I'm going to reread that because it's, it's pretty straightforward. It says, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That's if I have something against somebody. If I feel like somebody did something to me. If I feel like I have a complaint about somebody, I'm supposed to forgive them even if they never come to me and ask it. I'm supposed to forgive them. It goes on to say in that verse, forgive them and forgive him that your father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father in heaven forgive your trespasses. That's pretty powerful then. And we're going to go back to Colossians. We're supposed to forgive. If anybody has forgive, uh, offended me, I am supposed to forgive them. How do we live out forgiveness? Uh, there was an article in Christianity Today. It was by Louis B. Smeads. Uh, the article was called Keys to Forgiveness. One of the keys that he brought out, it says this. Forgiving comes naturally to the forgiven. 
Nothing enables us to forgive like knowing in our hearts that we have been forgiven. This is probably why Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our sins. Then in parentheses he puts, but only as we forgive our debtors. Matthew 6, 12 with a Smeed's interjection. Um, It goes on to say that Jesus implies that it is unthinkable for a forgiven person to refuse to forgive. If we do refuse, he says later, we have no claim on God's forgiveness. But remember, he does not expect perfect forgiveness from us. He is the only expert at it. We are poor duffers trying to treat others as he treats us. I I really thought that was a pretty good statement. I liked that way it was put because I have been forgiven of so much. You know, it's just all of my sins. All of my sins that I committed before I was saved. Back in 1976, all the sins that I have done before I was saved, I was forgiven of them. All those sins I've done from 1976 till today, some 41 years later, I have been forgiven by Jesus Christ. He forgave me so many sins. Can you think of all of the sins that you have done that he has forgiven you? I, I can't count them. It's a TNTC. Too numerous to count. How can I not forgive others when Christ forgave me so much? It's the kind of hard attitude we're supposed to look at. And we should forgive others even if they offend us, even if they don't ask us. We should also be the type of people that are willing to go to somebody and say, hey, I'm sorry for offending you. Forgive me. We need to go both ways with that. We need to go out and and do it. And it's not always the easiest thing to do. But forgiveness is something that we have because God forgave us so much, and we can't forget that. It's hard often to go to somebody and tell them, uh, I forgive you. Because some people really like to hold on to the anger. Some people like to hold on to the resentment. And believers, we're not supposed to do any of that. We're supposed to let it go and let God take care of it. As our theme of three words of passionately pursuing Christ is brought out, which is a, it, it's, it's some easy words to say, okay? But it is a, a real challenge, and it should be a very personal challenge to each one of us. I can't account for what you do as you pursue Christ. I can only count what I do. So as we individually pursue Christ, as we individually forgive one another, we will grow closer together. 
we will reconcile. We'll be willing to go up to somebody and say, hey, how are you doing today? And it'll be much easier for all of us to forgive one another when we are following Christ in his example. Dr. Sheard? I was, I was asked um, by the elders to talk about what does the future look like um, when we forgive. I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 7. Um, brought an illustration along. Um, this text is um, about three groups of people. Uh, and uh, I would like, before we read it, for you to, first, I'd like you to reflect on your life and come up with one, two, or three people that have hurt you in your life. Okay, your time is up. Uh, it probably doesn't take very long to, to figure them out, right? Okay, now I'd, what I'd like you to do is I would like you to think about one, two, or three people that you have hurt in the last year. Somebody that you've offended. We're going to read this text. It's about the stoning of Stephen. Uh, it has to do with this particular text. He tells the people some hard things and um, suffers the consequence of telling them the truth. Now, sometimes we're on the receiving end of the truth, and sometimes we're on the delivery end of the truth, of getting the truth told to us. And there's a third group that I want to talk to you about that probably you don't see right away in this text. Um, we are all three those who throw the stones, those who get hit by the stones, and this other group. So let's just read the text. We're going to have to truncate it because it's too long. The sermon is long, but this is the invitation part where he tells the people what they have to do, and so rather than responding to the invitation, they stone him. Okay, so here's the text. Verse 51 of chapter 7 of the book of Acts. You stiff-necked, and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of your prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers. You have received the, uh, the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with, their, with one accord and they cast him out of the city and stoned him and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. 
So there were three groups. And in life, we're always one of these three. And probably most of the time, in any given day, we are one of these three groups. Um, we are not always the recipient of the stones. We are sometimes the thrower of the stones, and sometimes we are the silent onlooker that watches it all take place. So I want to talk first about when, when I am one of the crowd or when you are one of the crowd. Just, just put yourself in this. When you are the person who's holding the stone um, and you say, he was harsh to me, uh, I'm going to stone him. He broke my expectations and he deserves what I'm about to give him. He harmed me. He destroyed my dreams. She victimized me. She broke my relationships. She neglected her responsibility to me. He emotionally hurt me. He used my grace that I gave him and stomped on me. His inaction crushed me. That lack of planning that she did, that destroyed me. That silent decision-making that that person did ruined years of my life. That abuse of authority, those bad investments destroyed me financially. He broke my equipment. He never paid me back. That harmful language that that person used against me still scars me. The harsh words, the failed decision-making, that person who patently did nothing and passively stood by, I'm suffering the consequences of that person's life. That emotional abuse, the neglect, the overcompensation that that person did in my life, look at what I'm suffering because of that now. The aggression, the beatings, the sexual assault, the passive-aggressive behavior, did I miss anyone? We pick up our stones because that hurt person hurt me. You know, I still have scars from two individuals. One's 15 years old and one's 30 years old. I'm sure you're like that. You have to be, right? And in your mind, you're inclined maybe to pick up the rock and to be that way. Um, maybe even somebody told you the truth about your, yourself. And at the time, maybe you didn't want to accept it, or maybe um, you did accept it. In this particular case, Stephen told them the truth, and they didn't like it. And so we throw the stone of retaliation and the stone of anger and the stones of frustration and the stones of torment and foment and denial. And, the, and, and, and we want to pick up the rock because of the scar of our losses, the scar of our lost years and lost wages and lost family and lost peace and lost tranquility and the torment of mind and all the things that have bothered us. And so we want to pick up the stones and stone them.
very often I'm one of these people. But you know, there's another group that's kind of awful in this passage. It's the silent onlookers. You know, this text does not record where the other five deacons were, six deacons. Hey, there were seven deacons. Why didn't one of the other six get up and say, hey, wait a minute, I want to stand up for Stephen. What he's saying is true. I want to talk to you about the Lord Jesus and forgiveness that's offered for him. Where were they? Do you think that this took place in a corner? We know that there were 11 apostles. You know, these people have names. I wrote them down. The other six deacons, their names were Philip, Pro, uh, Procurus, Nicanor, T Timian, Parnassus, and Nicholas. Where were those other six deacons? Hey, how about Peter, James, John, Andrew, Thomas, Philip, Bartholomew? Where was Matthew? Where were the other apostles? I don't see them in the text. Nobody's standing up for Stephen. Well, he was uh, tried in the Sanhedrin, so he must have been indoors. Yeah, but they brought him out to the city. Surely the 5,000 that were saved in Acts chapter 4 and the 3,000 that were saved at Pentecost, 8,120 up in the upper room, 120, so we have 8,117 individuals that we know of, including the people that were added to the church. Where were those 8,300, 8,200, whatever the math is? Do I teach at school? <laughs> Where were those other 8,000 people? They said nothing. You know, when Stephen says, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, maybe he looked out and saw some of his friends who didn't stick up for him. May we never be in the silent onlooker group, which we often are. I remember I was in the uh, mountains of Martinique with my family. We needed to go in and get some water or something like that in this way up out of the way Delhi in the mountains, and I got out of my car, told my family to stay there, and I walked in, and I'm looking around, and, the, and this man is witnessing, just bold, bold witnessing to the, um, uh, the cashier, just sharing the love of Christ. It was amazing. And so I lingered buying something just so I could listen to him talk to this cashier. And rather than going up to the cashier and saying, what this man's saying to you is true, I was silent. God placed me in the middle of nowhere at a precise moment when I could have reinforced for that man who was witnessing to the cashier, and all I wanted to be was a spectator and listen to him what he had to say. Folks, listen, when God puts you someplace and you can be a, a, a witness or a testimony, even if it costs you something. I don't want to stand up for Stephen because I don't want to be on the receiving end of a stone. You know, uh, sometimes we are the stone thrower and sometimes we are um, the silent onlooker and sometimes we are the recipient of some pretty nasty rocks. Um, and in this particular case, he, he got stoned because he didn't stay silent. 
sometimes you're stoned because of some kind of random act. You just happen to be with the wrong person at the wrong time. But when I'm hurt by others, what do I do? Stephen gives us an example that is really difficult to follow, but it is the only right response. It is the only right response. And who's good at this, really? It says, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And he fell asleep. Are you good at that? You know, if somebody picks a fight, we usually want to put up our dukes, right? When our wife, guys, tells us something, do we usually receive it well? Thank you, honey. I needed to hear that. I know I'm neglectful. I know I am not the gentle person that I'm supposed to be. Uh, Usually, we kind of retaliate. Before he dies, he defines the future. The future is forgiveness and his own personal death. Death follows forgiveness. Hear me now. Death follows forgiveness. He did not say, God, give them back for what they're doing to me and your people. He didn't say that. He said, I'll pray for the perpetrator because he is me. Imagine Saul, who was watching the coats. He heard it. We know that he heard it because he cried out. He knelt down and cried with a loud voice, and Saul was there. He was watching the coats. He was watching everything that happens, and Saul even repeats the fact that he was a witness to it. In Acts 22, 20, this is what Saul says when he gives his testimony. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the the remnant of them that slew him. I saw it. I saw it with my own eyes and I consented to it. You know, but Stephen got nothing. He never saw Saul, who became Paul. The apostle Paul never had a chance to say to, to Stephen, you know, I was there. I was consenting to the death. I watched the coats. I was part of the process. I was an accomplice to the crime. Uh, I was a rock thrower, um, and I killed you. He wasn't ever able to say that to Stephen because Stephen died. The forgiveness brought deliverance for Stephen by his own death, Um, Stephen's honesty really, quite frankly, brought conflict, and the conflict required forgiveness, and the fruit of forgiveness may not be immediate. Sometimes your forgiveness, when it's given freely, unabashed, um, and you say, even though this person hurt me, I'm not going to hold it against them, uh, it took a long time for the fruit to be born here. Um, maybe if the silent people had gotten up, Saul would have been saved right then and there. Maybe if Peter, James, and John would have testified to 
the grace of God, but it didn't happen that way. Saul's not converted till Acts chapter 9. <clears throat> you know, when we pray that God would forgive us as we forgive our debtors and God would forgive them and let it go, God answers that prayer. God answered Stephen's prayer in Acts chapter 9. He did. He forgave Paul in Acts chapter 9. Eventually, God says, it's hard to kick against the goads. It's hard to fight me, isn't it, Saul? You knew from the time you heard Stephen pray for forgiveness that this is a hard road that you're hoeing here. <clears throat> Did I receive my forgiveness from God because I managed all the details properly and I gave honor to him and I lived my life correctly before I trusted Christ and I was just an exemplary person? That's why God saved me. No, I'm justified freely, Paul says, by his grace, which is in Jesus Christ. These are hard words to receive. I'm justified freely, but I want you to pay for your sins. Right? And so we, we stone one another, and we, we carry on. Uh, let's show the resume of your life and my life. Let's put up a rap sheet. Hey, let's post it. Uh, we'll, we'll put up a rap sheet of each one of us, and we'll project it on the screen, and we'll see who... Um, is left standing. Um, grace is free, um, and forgiveness is free. It's freely granted to me, and it's not earned. You know, confrontation um, and speaking the truth, and this particular text is very interesting because Stephen, he's not silent. He doesn't forgive in silence. He speaks his peace, he receives the venom and dies. He gives, or I'm sorry, he speaks his peace, he receives the venom, and in the process forgives and then dies. Um, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I live, now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I receive the forgiveness, I grant it, and I die to myself. There's a certain death when you let go. We were singing, brother, and I was reflecting on, on the grace of God in my life. What I was like as a teenager and where God has brought me in the last 40 years. <clears throat> I'm not quite as old as you, brother Denny. What a, the grace of God in my life. Don't other people deserve that? <clears throat> our forgiveness will bring our personal death because we can't let, we, we have to let go of the spirit of bondage that controls what we're doing. It results in the salvation of others, particularly the one that you forgive and at whose feet other people have left this, their coats. 
the decision for forgiveness, and hear me now as we close, in this text is without a response by the recipient. The forgiveness of Stephen, of the people who were hurting him, is without a response from the recipient of the forgiveness. It was while the railing against him was happening. It was present at the time. Imagine that, that at the time something is happening to you or to me, you forgive at that particular moment. It's while the conflict is unfinished. You have conflict in your life, perhaps currently or previously, or the people who have hurt you in the past, um, and it is unfinished. The forgiveness happens in the midst of unfinished aggression that's not ended. And it happens while people are people, right? So one of the questions that was posed to the elders, where do we go from here? As a church, where do we go forward? Um, Does uh, forgiveness mean that the business is done and over? Um, Or maybe you have hurts that are six months old or six years old or 60 years old in this church or in a previous church or in a school Uh, or in a family, or you were bullied, or you were hurt, or you were in a relationship where you got uh, tormented and and, uh, uh, harmed. People are people. You grant forgiveness while the stones are being thrown at you, and you move forward, and you die the death that follows from um, the nature of things. There may not be a reward for you in the immediate. You may not see the consequences of your forgiveness, um, but you're free and God sees that. And if your forgiveness results in the salvation of Saul because you prayed at the moment or subsequent to the moment when somebody hurt you, imagine the blessing that God brings on your life and on the church because you chose to uh, forgive. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to be the kind of people that we need to be, that we would love you uh, just as you loved us and forgive those around us uh, freely in the midst of the difficulties uh, without a response before the conflict is over uh, that we can move forward in freedom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we've been talking the last few weeks at Mount Calvary Church, we are passionately pursuing Christ. And, and that happens in community. And you know what it's like uh, in your family, in any kind of community. There's, uh, there's going to be times when we wrong one another. And that's why forgiveness is necessary. That's why it's important that we extend forgiveness and, and reflect, even as we sung that last song, how, hallelujah for the cross, that we have been forgiven greatly. And because of that, we can extend forgiveness to others. Uh, 
As we passionately pursue Christ, we want to also be involved in missions. And I want to have Alan Toth come forward and, and just share a little bit about the opportunity that he has coming up this week to go to Hungary and, and how we can be praying for him as he ministers. And then we're going to pray for Alan and for his ministry in, the, in this week. You didn't tell me I had to be prepared for anything. Nope, just, just but I forgive you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Next Friday, uh, just doing a week in Hungary this year. Uh, I got word from Terry that the camp is full. Um, the kids, this will be the third year that I get to see a lot of these kids. So I'm excited that they're anticipating having fun at this camp. So just pray for the team as we get together. Um, there's going to be myself and five assistant coaches um, that we get together on the same page quickly. Uh, pray for the kids that they're receptive when we're sharing the gospel with them and that the Holy Spirit is working in their heart. And then the secondary things, pray for good weather. Um, that it's cool, um, and uh, nothing gets stolen this time, and uh, that we're putting the right fuel in the right vehicles. But uh, for those of you that haven't heard the stories before, it's been quite an adventure last couple trips, but that's about the extent of it. So let's just pause and just pray for Alan and just pray that God would, would use him in a mighty way as he goes to Hungary and use the team that God has assembled there and that, uh, uh, that as they, as they uh, uh, coach baseball, that they have the opportunity to teach and share the gospel and that they see many respond. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for Alan. I thank you for his love for you and his love for baseball and how he desires to use his love for baseball as a ministry. And, and, and thank you for this, these years of faithful service as he's gone to Hungary and as he prepares to go back this week, Lord. I pray that you would be with him. I pray that you give him traveling mercies. I pray that uh, you'd work all the details out. I pray for the coaches as they come together and meet each other and, and, and just try to get on the same page for the camp, Lord, that you just give them a great spirit of unity and, and uh, camaraderie, Lord. And I, and I pray that as the camp is full with all these uh, teenagers coming, Lord, I pray that, uh, uh, that you would just give them boldness and courage and the, and the words to share the truth of the gospel. And Lord, we pray that uh, as the gospel is shared, that your Holy Spirit might work in the hearts and lives of these students, Lord, and, and Lord, that, that we'd see some come to know you. Uh, Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for, uh, for those who, thank you for the, uh, our kids in junior church who, who have given to provide baseballs for, for this uh, camp. And, and Lord, thank you for those who who have sacrificed to do that, Lord. And I just pray you just help us to remember uh, starting Friday for the next week just to pray for Alan, just to pray for his ministry, Lord. And we just pray that ultimately that, uh, that those there might see you move in a mighty way and see some come to know Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Alan. So, hey, thank you so much for being here this morning with us. It's so good to have you with us. Have a great rest of the day. And as we walk out these doors, remember, we will have opportunity probably today to extend forgiveness. What will we do? Let's remember we've been forgiven much, and so we need to show that love and forgiveness to others. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your day.